Stinging waves, fox spear, lock is action, very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Beat your bad left, Edward is an idiot. Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempex cat, Q has had enough of that. Beat me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday, July 6, 2023. It is 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Welcome to Episode 540 of Trek Talking. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, with you again. And before we go too far, I'd like to introduce you to my Trek Uh We're a short one tonight, but that's okay because I think we can make it. First of all, let's go over to Portland. I want to introduce to you Paul, the toy guy. How you doing tonight, Paul? Hey, man. I'm doing well, Uncle Jim. Yeah, it's been a good week, a busy week. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to no longer be hearing the uh, exploding nonsense of fireworks in our neighborhood that got a little out of control uh this week not my jam <laughs> so nice no, to have some I, uh, I calmer, calmer times uh i think especially our dogs are, are certainly much happier about that so yeah just enjoying a uh, uh, high summer as they say i'm right there with you and also from portland we have david the hamburger guy how you doing david hamburger i'm good yeah, it's uh, getting really hot over here, though. Oh, my goodness. We're in the high 90s at the moment, so getting pretty uh, getting pretty uh, straight with my, uh, yeah, it's just really, really, really hot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hot here in Vermont, too. We're, we're cracking 90, which we, we very rarely do we get that high, but we're there, so... Summer's here, and, and you'll never hear me bitch about the heat. It's better than the snow, so I'll take <laughs> it any day. <laughs> and rounding out my Trexperts, we have our very own Charles, and Charles is in Las Vegas, the desert of Las Vegas, where I'm sure he's used to hot and humid, right, Dave? No, no. We're used to hot, not humid. Not and, humid? Eh, not humid. Uh, with this kind of heat, I like in my humidity in single digits. But at least it's cooler than it was Sunday, Monday. At least it's not 110. Only like about 104. That's a little bearable. Ugh, no thank you. <laughs> we are not at home. I, I don't want 110. We've had 110. It's like, I don't want it that hot. And 110 could lead to 112, 115. It's like, I don't like it when it gets that high. Yeah, my ass would be moving. (laughs) No, I ain't living there. No way. No No chance. Not not this guy. I like it where it's rainy most of the time. (laughs) 
Well, guys, as usual, we have a great show planned for you, but when do we not? We're going to be talking about Strange New Worlds uh, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. You see a theme there? Kind of like a echoing time travel story, perhaps. Uh, you'll have to hang around and see. But wait, there's more. There you go. What Star Trek actor do you share a birthday with this week? You'll have to stick around to find out. We have our fan shout-out, and we also have our fan scores, and that's where we ask you guys on our Facebook page to score the episode. We tally up the scores, and we see how close we come to you guys. So you can go over to the Facebook page and tell us what you thought about last week's episode. We'd love to hear from you. And we also have some Star Trek news. And uh, we're going to get to that as well. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. So quick, run to your phone and let your fingers do the walking and call Trek Talk. And we'd love to hear from you. 646-668-2433. And if you're not listening to us live right now and you're listening to us in Australia on Tuesday or Hong Kong on Wednesday, that's okay. You can still be part of the show. And, Paul, how could our listeners globally be part of the show if they're not listening to us live right now? There are so many different ways that you can do it, Jim. Uh, the main thing is that you, you look for a way to interact. Uh, what I recommend doing is if you go outside at night and stare up at the stars, if you stare long enough and hard enough, eventually those stars will form letters and words. And typically, if you're really of the right mind space it'll spell out uh, the words trektalking.com but you know that not everyone's got that kind of patience to do that or that kind of spiritual fortitude so if you don't you can go to any kind of electronic mobile device that you have be it a laptop be it iphone be it whatever it is and you could just go to our facebook page that's for track talking or just use the fantastic invasional worldwide web and go to trektalking.com Com because that's your one-stop shopping portal to all things truck talking related. There are even hilarious photographs of us, Uncle Jim's truck experts. So you can actually see what these crazy people look like behind the voices. You can leave us messages. You can win stuff. It's ridiculous how much crazy interactivity there is there. So try to make it a, a, a regular stop on your uh, skittering about the Internet. TrekTalking.com. Back to you, Jim. That's right. TrekTalking.com. You heard it here first. TrekTalking.com. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. You little blue talkback mic in the bottom right-hand corner, just leave us a message, and all the messages that we receive will be played on the next podcast. So even if you can't call us live right now, you can still be part of the show by leaving us a message on the talkback mic in the bottom right-hand corner at TrekTalking.com. This is a part of the show where normally I would introduce Eric and we would start our fan shout-outs, but Eric's not with us tonight. So we're going to skip over Eric, but don't worry. We're still going to do the fan shout-outs. If you would like to hear your name mentioned in a fan shout-out, you can either go to trektalking.com and go to our Facebook page or go directly to our Facebook page because you have it bookmarked. And pin to the top of the page, you'll see a live long and prosper. And all you have to do is tell us, where you're listening from, look for a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim, and that means your name will be featured on a future fan shout-out. So, Paul, who are we starting off with tonight? 
Well, I'll tell you, my friend, uh, one of the great things about Star Trek is the fact that it unites so many people from so many different walks of life. And one of the great things is you can be united with people from all over this planet. And we want to really highlight that in this segment whenever we can, because it's a multinational, multi, <laughs> multi-global enterprise, this love of all things Star Trek. So we've got all kinds of fans we want to say hello to tonight. First things first, I'd like to say hello to Lars Rendelmann, who is a fan giving us a shout-out from Cologne, Germany. Live long and prosper, Lars. You live in a fantastic part of the world. Absolutely gorgeous country that you have there, Lars. So great to hear from you. Uh, on the other hemisphere, down under, if you go to magnificent Queensland, Australia, land of happy people and uh, roses and all good things, our good friend Jenny Crawford from Australia is saying hello to us this week. Kapla, my friend. It is wonderful to hear from you, Jenny. Thanks for being a fan and for sharing your enthusiasm for all things Star Trek. Now we're going to go bopping back over to Europe, and we're going to say hello to our good friend Sas Lemons in South Limburg in the Netherlands, that Netherlands flag flying proudly there. Great to hear from you, Sas, and just to make sure that we're not just in one part of the planet, we're going to move over to Hong Kong, where our good friend Fungui Sichon is waving to us there, an amazing metropolis, Hong Kong to be sure. All kinds of exciting things happening there. It is one of the uh, strongest beating hearts of the science fiction universe. Lots and lots of fans living there. So see, friends, there's Star Trek fans sharing mutual enthusiasms all over this planet. Wouldn't you say that's true, Charles? Oh, definitely. Let's have a welcome to Stephen Evans in Red Oak, Iowa. Oh, must be near... uh... Sam and George, or do we say, or we, we say Sam and Jane, Dan James, the Kirks. Welcome to Paul Richardson and our state, our nation's capital, Washington D.C. I've been many a times, a bit warm there right now, but lots of tourists. Welcome to Top Ten, Edson Zimmerman from Indiana. Top fan Jeff Elner from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I haven't been to Milwaukee, but I did spend time in Wisconsin because I could legally drink when I was about 18, 19 at the time. So, David, who's on your list? Yeah, so I would like to welcome top fan Jeffrey Gray from Western Pennsylvania here. <laughs> Uh, and the next top uh, site, uh, next one is uh, Rick D. McClarkson from Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, shout out to top fan Mark Margolis from Columbus, Ohio. Last on my uh, top shout out, uh, sorry, uh, shout out, it would be Christopher Baum from Phoenix, Arizona. Paul, back to you. Oh, gosh, I've got even more fans. I'm telling you, it's crazy. We're just awash in fan excitement. 
This is a great one. I am thrilled to say hello to Richard Cochran in Paisley, Scotland. It's great to hear from you, Richard. Thanks for being a fan and for popping on with us here at Trek Talking. Uh, then, this is in a very exotic location, we are hearing from top fan, I'm telling you, top, 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 top fan, Susan Adams. And if you don't think this is an exotic port of call, Susan's saying hey to us from Tangier, Morocco, one of the most amazing ports. It, it just vibrates with exotic uh, adventures uh, where you would expect to see Indiana Jones hanging out in the, uh, the, the cantina next to you. So great to hear from you, Susan. That's an exciting port of call to be sure. We're also hearing from our friend Ivana Miladinovic from Serbia. We've got fans all over the place. Great to hear from you, Ivana. Thanks for reaching out and for uh, continuing to keep the Star Trek torch lit. And finally, for me, we're going back to the Netherlands to say hello to top fan Christel Giesdemans, who is also uh, residing in Europe in the Netherlands, one of the most gorgeous places on the planet. So, Paul, I'm telling you, we got good fan excitement and mojo and shared enthusiasm everywhere. Back to Uncle Jim, who's got it rocking on. Yeah, we definitely want to say thank you and kapla to Paul Vadinsky, who's in upstate New York. I wonder just how far upstate Paul really is, because when people say upstate New York, generally they mean not New York City. Um, so I don't know how far upstate Paul is, but we're great to have you as a fan. Thank you so much, Paul. We also want to say kapla to top fan. Uh, I got to make it bigger because I can't read it. Karen Seaborn Chivek, who's listening to us in Western. Massachusetts. Thank you so much. We also want to say thank you and kapla to Melissa, Melissa Ruth Wolf, who's listening to us in New York City. That's right, New York City, the Big Apple. Thank you so much, Melissa. And last, but definitely not least, from the birthplace of Captain James T. Kirk himself, we want to say thank you for being a fan to Joe Bedford, who's listening to us all the way in Iowa. So once again, guys, if you'd like to hear your name mentioned in a fan shout out, head over to our Facebook page and just drop us a line and tell us where you're listening from. Look for a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim. Okay. On our Facebook page, every Friday, that'll be tomorrow, guys. Every Friday, I ask you guys to score last week's episode. And we, we do it that way intentionally because as you can see, we have a lot of global listeners who don't get Star Trek on Thursday like we do in the States. They don't get it until Friday. So tomorrow, I will post on our Facebook page asking you guys to score the episode on a scale of 1 to 10. And then I collect the uh, scores. We come up with a fan score, and we read off some lucky fan um, scores for the episode. So normally turn to Eric, but we're going to turn to Charles for this one. So take it away, Charles. Okay. Top fan Dorota Puda. Eight. Might be my favorite in the series so far. Time travel dilemmas, a touch of romance, difficult decisions, intense drama, action rather than boring and the best of all, likable on. 
Tarzan, Rich, Gale, nine, a pretty good romp. All the time, I was thinking how good a prequel Wrath of Khan story film would have been. Also, could have been more direct link to the aforementioned Temporal War from the Enterprise. Good fun, though. Oh, and yes, I still think Chris Pine is a better Kirk. Melanie Me- uh, Mizd, solid nine. Lovely Ann and Kirk together. Top fan Ellen Noodle gave it a 15, which we will put it as a 10. It was amazing. Victor Noel, I'll go with an eight. It's a classic and placing Star Trek in the historical Earth Jeopardy. It has been some fun with pairing Kirk and Finn, just a little irony, it puts Finn in a, in a challenging position and takes Kirk out of the known universe and again puts him in alternate timeline. It was fun. Mike Grant, solid eight. I'm not a huge fan of Leon, but this episode has a solid pace. My only gripe with Strange Worlds is it's lacking uh, Pike in Season 2. Over 20% of the season is done, and he's done. He's had about 10 minutes of screen time over three episodes. Top fan, Mac Kins. People really be digging the new Strange New World. I don't know if it was hyped. I was, but since the first episode, I've really been let down with the lack of action. This is also my very first time my nine-year-old daughter and wife of 13 years has given Star Trek a chance after bugging me, after me bugging them for years. Guess I was hoping for a little more show than explaining the genetic wars that really aren't even described too much in detail. I give this episode a six. Matt Hunter, well-written and acted. My only nitpick is that since they saved the timeline, Pella should have been known, should have known Liana either originally or when she came on the bridge. Neat parallel, though, for the scenes where she's met alternate work. Top fan, Glenn Meltland, 7.5, lovely acting. Love seeing Toronto actually portrayed as itself. Issues with Khan being Canadian all of a sudden. Not buying the murky retconning of the time around the eugenics wars. And I do have issues with the gun being left in the boys' cell bedroom. Still a great episode and a bit of a dark one for Leon going forward. I guess Temple Investigations really doesn't care about PTSD as long as they got their quota met. Top fan, Ham Sith. I'll give it a 7 out of 10. While a good episode, this is the second time where Pike is absent and with only 10 episodes, that, felt, that absent is felt. I want to watch Strange New World, not Strange New Timeline. The one last season, episode 10, was enough in my opinion. 
I enjoyed the show because of Anson Mountrain Pike and seeing him and his crew out there exploring. I think bringing Kirk into this so early is not necessary, especially as we have his brother Sam, who could always use more development since we know so little about him overall. Ken Backman gives it a two. Wesley ruins it again. The episode was good, but casting him as Kirk is horrible and brings it all down. Bob St. Jean gives it a 10. We'll see Leon. We'll see Leon in a whole new way. She opens up, even falls in love. And after returning to her timeline, makes it awkward and sweet for her to call Kirk. It was heartbreaking to see her cry at the end of the episode. That was a lot to go through. Finally, top fan Bobby Chekhov. Ken, love the character depth, which overall gives us a fan score of 7.2. Cue music. Okay, cadet training. And this one, I think you've got a pretty good idea where my main focus is. Where have we had occurrences of time travel? Especially, let's see, dealing with Earth. Well, let's go all the way back to TOS's Tomorrow is Yesterday, Season 1, Episode 19. The very popular City on the Edge of Forever, Season 1, Episode 28. Assignment Earth, Season 2, Episode 26. On the animated series, Yesteryear, Season 1, Episode 2. I know one of Jim's favorites. Star Trek 4. Next generation. Is that the one with the whale? That was the one with the whale. TNG, I stuck basically to one which was Yetra's Enterprise, Season 3, Episode 15. DS9, Past Tense, Part 1 and 2, Season 3, Episode 11 and 12, Dealing with the Bell Wars. Little Green Men, Season 4, Episode 8. The Ferengi, and what are they going to do on Earth? And the the special anniversary episode, Trials and Tribulations, Season 5, Episode 6. <clears throat> and Voyager's Endgame, Season 7, Episode 25. Uh, brought up an interesting character in here, which we've only seen once. And that's a member of the Department of Temporal Investigation which we first see in DS9's Trials and Tribulations, again, Season 5, Episode 6, where we've learned that Kirk has 17 violations by the Department of Temporal Investigation. And what, the last minute, I kind of threw in there. Charlie X, Season 1, Episode 2, our first occurrence with 3D chess as Kirk's gotten very tired of 2D chess. 
So, Jim, I guess we probably want to talk about this episode. Yeah, let's let's. Uh, I promised uh, the burger guy that he could go first, but since Eric isn't with us, I want to read Eric's uh, evaluation of the episode and get his score tallied, and then we're going to turn it over to the hamburger guy, David, because I promised him he could go first because he had so much to say in chat, and he's usually pretty laid back and quiet, so I think he has a lot to say about this episode. So we're going to jump on him first, but let me let me read what Eric said. So Eric said, overall, I will give last week's episode a 7.1. Actually thought the story was kind of fun, but I feel like it went on too long. I also didn't completely buy the love story between Kirk and La'an. The fact that they're changing Mbenga more into a warrior character instead of a doctor is a little weird, too. But all the callbacks were, of course, fun. The directing itself just wasn't that great in the episode. Have fun. See you guys all next week. So Eric gave it a 7.1, and that's going to lead us over. Is that a 7 or a 7.1? Oh, that's a 7 and a a period I. Right, 7. Okay, 7. And with that, we're going to turn it over to our very own burger guy, David. Take it away with your thoughts on the episode, David. Three, two, one. (laughs) All right. So, um, yeah, very interesting episode for last week. Uh, the time travel was definitely something new for Strange New World. I don't really believe we've actually had the time travel. I mean, Discovery did with the whole time crystal thing, yes. But And, of course, yes, okay, they, they did do a time travel with uh, going up to the Romulan War and everything. So... Interesting enough to think that time travel in Star Trek has had numerous, oh, I don't know what they call that, the, uh, just seemed, it's like the new normal in a way that Star Trek, ever since from the TOS era all the way up till now, it's just like, yes, time travel is definitely a thing for Star Trek, and when there is no time travel to go based off of, it kind of gets a little boring to me in a way because actually time travel to me it, it it makes it so that you're not just telling the, the the same old story in a sense like yeah i know every episode seems to have like their own type of different story and stuff and so and of course strange new world is supposed to carry on to the next episode which is interesting enough to think about time travel because you're following a particular story but that uh, that whole incident when one of the fans mentioned that they left the gun inside Khan's bedroom, cell bedroom, I saw that myself, and I'm like, okay, are they going to be talking about that later, like down the line, maybe season three or something? Like that's how he escaped, you know? But to me, I was just like, yeah. I mean, I think they're not making any mistakes when they make these. So that gun is probably going to be burning up again sometime in the future episodes so to me this episode was definitely one of my favorites i'll tell you the score i guess at the end of this but to me when it comes to time travel i've also noticed that they always seem to focus on either the group or a single individual and only that person or the group will experience what they have gone through. It's almost kind of like going through an experience where it's like, you know, 
almost a traumatic experience almost, I want to say, just because what the experience could either be for good or worse. And to me, following La'an's uh, storyline, which was basically just about her, I think she did a very good job, by the way, with her acting, and it really made it believable how she, you know, just cried at the end there. I felt sorry for her at the time because doing only that kind of, um, only having that kind of knowledge of what she experienced and who she's lost during that experience, you know, I, I can imagine she's going through a lot right now. And so the other thing I wanted to, uh, point at a point to this was that um, not all time travels are the same. Every single series, every single episode that we've gone through all had a different time travel that they went to to a specific multi-universe as you will. And a lot of people were uh, uh, complaining that how come they didn't use the J.J. Abrams version of like when they went to the travel to time travel like for the, for last week's episode, how come they didn't use J.J. Universe uh, uh, version of saying like you know this is where we're at pinpoint I guess you could say, but to me time travel doesn't really work that way as far as we know and understand how it works in Star Trek because it's almost kind of like warping to a new location without knowing exactly where you're going to come out to. But, of course, in the realm of Star Trek, they have those computers that help them and everything like that. But, however, when it comes to trying to pinpoint where you're going to be when you time travel, sometimes it's it's like a random situation where it's just like, okay, you're in a – this year, you're over at this point in the time. But yet, every time they time travel, it's like it's a completely separate universe. And the fact that they killed Kirk in this episode doesn't mean that Kirk is dead for the other time travel that they come across. So to me, I felt very uh, passionate about this particular episode because I really do like time travel episodes. It just tells a more interesting, fun story that gets added on to an already greater story as it is. And so since Star Trek is so huge right now, it's just like, when time travel comes and I see people like saying, how come this didn't happen? That didn't happen because, you know, like in this other episode, they time traveled and yet it wasn't there. Who, whoever they are talking about. Right. So it's just like, to me, it's like, it's a completely new, uh, sheet of paper basically is where you are going to be talking about the story and it's going to be completely clean slate. It's going to be completely everything. And, as far as this episode, they really did a good job, I thought, of explaining how Kurt was actually born on a ship rather than Earth. Because in his timeline, things were completely different. Now, here's an interesting thought that I actually just thought of. Would they actually do an episode where, for instance, this time travel episode, and then... So Laon went into this time travel, and then maybe in a future episode of maybe Strange New World could do another time travel movie where they accidentally kind of like cross each other, and they, you see like Laon in the background with Captain Kirk just running around, and then it would be like something's going on. I don't know. I'm just interesting to see like 
two time travel episodes crossing over one each other. So that'd be kind of interesting to see. But yeah. However, however, we do have one crossover episode that we are going to be getting. And that, of course, I think we already know about this, where Strange New World and uh, Lower Decks are going to be coming in together. So we'll, see how, we'll have to see how, what happens with that. But overall, I, I think this episode was really good. I, I, I think you guys already know what my score is going to be. So <laughs> um, definitely, uh, yeah, I think I pretty much covered everything that I want, <clears throat> excuse me, wanted to talk about. But, um, yeah, I think I'm going to give this one a uh, 10. All right. So we have a 7 from Eric. We have a 10 from the burger guy. How about you, Nate? Oh, uh, you answered the phone. Hey. I'm here. You're here. Hello. All right. Okay. So, hey Nate, you're live, buddy. I am live. All right. <laughs> so this is not uh, Memorex. So, this is live. <laughs> it isn't Memorex. Okay. So, all right. So, I like to do positives and negatives because that's uh, I'm pretty even-handed with that, as you guys know. So, I'm going to start with my positives of this episode. Um, this episode's positives are the the three Kirkisms, as I call them, uh, that happened in here, at least three that I saw. Uh, one, Kirk got his shirt off. Shatner always uh, wanted to make sure Kirk had his shirt off every few episodes. So Kirk had his shirt off in every few episodes. So we had it, Kirk's shirt off. Kirk got the girl in the end. So Kirk always gets the girl. He got the girl. Um, he also can't drive, uh, as pointed out in a TOS episode. Uh, although in this episode, after uh, getting the hang of it, he seemed to drive all right. But those are three three Kirkisms that I thought were were spot on. They did the right thing there. I also like the fact that uh, about him playing chess. He's used to playing uh, three dimensional chess, so he makes a comment of how mundane. Uh, I don't know exactly what it is, but uh, uh, how mundane one-dimensional chess is. Uh, so, uh, so that was kind of cool too. That's about all I have for positives. Um, I do. Uh, so this timeline change, obviously, it is a separate universe that they go into, or should be going into, because you have the United Earth Fleet that Kirk is uh, and the Enterprise are part of you do not have the United Federation of Planets. So I'm open-minded at this point when, when this happens, uh, that, that, okay, this is a, yet another quote-unquote mirror universe out there that's created, so it's not going back to the prime timeline's past um, uh, as, as we have been presented all these decades that this is the prime timeline uh, from TOS all the way through Enterprise. Uh, so then, uh, <clears throat> as the story progresses, though, we end up finding out that um, that things aren't exactly the same. Obviously, in my opinion, the Romulan spy comes from some point in the future of the prime timeline. So she's coming back to find an adult con that started the eugenics wars or was part of the eugenics wars uh, as an adult in 1996. 
Now, it's been, okay, uh, said to go from 92 to 96 or whatnot. Um, I think originally as presented, uh, it was 96. Obviously, Khan was an adult. He had to be an adult in that era because he, he and his followers got onto a cryogenic ship and launched into space and were discovered by the Enterprise uh, 300 years later. In order to, for that to happen, he has to already be an adult in the 90s and ruling a nation. So to have him revealed as a child, uh, and the Romulan says, well, time always corrects itself, well, you're already presenting in this what was supposed to be an alternate, and again, him as a child in an alternate universe, I'm fine to an extent, but uh, you're trying to say on the at one hand it's, it's been an altered timeline, but on the other hand, you're saying it's the correct timeline, it's just been altered some way. Um, so she obviously came back to expect an adult and in the 90s because she's been there since the 90s and, and he wasn't there. Um, so instantly for this episode, I went down, uh, from any previous rating I had because of the wrong age for Khan. However, um, what really gets in my craw about this episode is a interview with, uh, Akiva Goldsman by, uh, that was posted in an article on Cineblend. And this is what he had to say. Uh, quote-unquote, in this interview and about this episode that really dropped the rating for me. And he said, this is a correction because otherwise it's silly or Star Trek ceases to be in our universe. Well, first of all, I'm going to stop there. Star Trek is not in our universe. It's a fictional TV show as the classic SNL skit by uh, Shatner in uh, 1986, where he says it's it's just a TV show, get a life, will you people? So it doesn't ex- exist in our universe. So I'll continue with with his quote here. He says, "By the way, this happened in season one. It's not a season two issue. It's a pilot issue. We want Star Trek to be an aspirational future. Well, yes, Star Trek since the 60s." We want it to, it's supposed to be something that we aspire to, to do. Um, so I agree with that statement. We, he continues, we want to be able to dream our way into the Federation as a Starfleet. I think that that is the fun part of it, in part. And so in order, this is where I disagree with him again, so in order to keep Star Trek in our timeline, which, again, this is a fictional TV show. It is not in our timeline. It is its own timeline. Um, We continue to push dates forward. At a certain point, we won't be able to do this. But obviously, if you are saying that the eugenics wars were in the 90s, which, yes, since Classic Trek, uh, since Space Seed, They've been happening in the 90s. Uh, Again, that's my interjection in his quote here. So, again, he goes, you start uh, saying that the uh, eugenics wars were in the 90s, 
So you're kind of, and I'll bleep this out, you're kind of effed for aspirational in terms of the real world, end quote. Um, of course, I, I put some of my stuff in, in that big long quote there. But so right there he's telling you in his mind that Star Trek is the future of our real world, and that is not the case. So in order for him as the showrunner to be forcing that issue, I have a big problem with. So, again, I was all right on board with, okay, it's a different mirror universe at first, but then uh, the con issue, and then when I found, uh, saw this article in his, his interview, this by far is the worst of the three episodes, in my opinion. So I rated a two. So I, I'm done venting for now. You can go on to the next one. <laughs> All right. So we have a poo from Nate. And, Paul, you want to jump in next? Sure, brother, sure. Wow, a lot of passionate uh, thoughts that are being raised up by this episode. It's great. Everyone's super engaged. I liked it. So, hey, I just want to go in, first of all, and uh, provide a little frame and context for myself here. Um, I went back and watched this episode a second time, and I'm glad I did. Um, Because I had a much better reaction to it um, on the second viewing than I did on the first viewing. Um, A lot of that has to do with with the way the the episode was directed, and and in particular the way it was edited. Um, It 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 kind of uh, tone is a real ephemeral thing and hard to convey sometimes, but the tone of it was was a little clunky, and it it felt. Like if you remember some of those, anyone here remember the USA Network from like the '90s, right? With shows like Highlander. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot like that. I mean, it was just really clunky, and it just really kind of like the pacing was really bad um, for the most part. I I felt like they they course corrected a little bit, but that has got to be. The slowest, most tedious car chase I've ever seen in my entire life. I was just like, oh, my God. It just was really awkward and not very very well cut at all. It was like remedial editing. I was just like, what's going on here? Uh, but on the whole, uh, it got better for me on a second viewing. Um, but there's some issues I have with it, um, I would say. Um, a lot of the... Uh, I mean, it's cute. It's a fun romp. It was obviously designed to be something you could do inexpensively, uh, just, you know, in their existing location where they shoot, hence all the Canada stuff, right? Um, but but I think they made the most of it, and it was a pretty decent little script uh, for the most part. Where I got into trouble uh, for me was when they uh, – characters would suddenly – well, characters, it's La'an and Kirk the whole way, right, pretty much – but when they would just suddenly, you know, oh, yeah, I remember this from history now. Oh, yeah, there was a thing with a cold fusion reactor, right? And their memories would just sort of like bring in expository plot points in the most convenient kind of, you know, uh, head-scratchingly coincidental way. It was really not so cleverly done there. Oh, now it's less about a bridge blowing up, and now it's about this reactor. But no, it's not, and we're going to throw in this Klingon spy. And then uh, – so I found that all a little awkward to be, to be frank. Um, the casting uh, for me, 
you know, God bless uh, La'an, because she was great. I mean, she did a terrific good job, and I am sure he is a great dude to hang out with. I'm sure he's a wonderful guy. He seems very likable. But um, but the charisma needle is hovering around a one or a two for this show's James Kerr. I just cannot get past this casting. I want to like him. I want to think that it's okay to have a different take on him. But somebody earlier was mentioning, you know, how we have a different take in the, the JJ verse with Chris Pine, right? That guy is charismatic. That guy, it works. That guy, you follow and you buy it, that he could be another kind of version of Kirk. This guy, I'm just not buying it. I'm just not buying it. I don't think he has the charisma. He's trying to be funny and like the hot dog scenes and stuff like that and all those kind of antics. But uh, but he's just missing something. And I, I believe me, I do not want a William Shatner impersonation. That's not what I'm saying at all. But, you know, he just does not seem like the Kirk that we've been hearing about from his days in the Academy referenced back in the original series, right? It just doesn't seem like that at all. Uh, so, uh, weird. Just, just, weird echo there. I just heard myself. I know what's going on in the audio, Jim. We have strange audio tonight. But <laughs> Hopefully I'm still it's the alternate through. universe. It must be the the two universes are colliding with all the, the passionate thoughts. But uh, but now the I just I'm having I want to give the guy you know a shot and I don't want to be dismissive but but still not happening for me uh, at all though uh, and right alongside of him was this Romulan uh, you know secret agent chick right I'm just she was you know. I don't know, man. Uh, just, just wacky. I just thought she was really oddly cast, and 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 a lot of her dialogue delivery was just not really solid. And then at one point, super unnecessarily with this plot, right? She talks that she's been marooned on Earth, trying to wait for this moment for thirty years, right? She makes a big deal about how she's been there, is waiting for the right opportunity to bring down mankind for thirty years. If you look this actress up on the IMDb, she's 33. So she looks younger. So I don't know if it's one of those things that we're just supposed to know, do the magic of canon or what have you, that, Kling, that, Kling, uh, that Romulans live a long time but don't look like they're old. Like it's one of those things, akin to Vulcan. It just seemed really slapdash and unnecessary, and it was super distracted because she's just, you know, She's a super young-looking person, and to have her suddenly say she's been here for 30 years when that doesn't really reinforce the plot at all, really uh, annoying. (laughs) Got to agree with David on a lot of David's uh, observations there, though I think that even if it was deliberate, it's super sloppy on her part to leave that gun in a little child's bedroom. Who the hell does that? I don't think I, I just think that that was really uh, and a super bad example, given the climate we live in here in the 21st century as well, to be depicting that visually in any show. Not OK. Uh, I think you can come up with some other method than leaving a gun with a child. You know, be less lazy, do better would be what I would have to say there. And then, uh, gosh, friends, I don't know how much chess or how much Canadian currency you could play in a certain amount of time, but uh, I'm thinking that uh, our good friend Jim Kirk must have played, I don't know, several thousand dollars worth of chess. To be, they weren't exactly staying at the Y. They're staying at this palatial hotel that looks like it's the Four Seasons that probably is, you know, $1,500 a night minimum. 
or whatever they pay in Canada. I don't know. But it's just like you made all this money playing chess. Come on. You're living in this ridiculously – it's one of those things that bugs me, like when you see like Laon's quarters, right, on the ship. Everybody's quarters on the ship are like basketball gymnasiums. They're huge. And, and just not what you would really believe would ever be practical for a ship. It, the ship would have to be three miles long. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So a lot of that stuff, I just mention it because it always seems to take me out of the uh, reality of the show, right? I'm supposed to be in this fictional world where disbelief is suspended completely, uh, right? And uh, and you just buy it. So um, initially, if I was rating this episode, I would probably – I was I really did not sit with me well at all on the first viewing. I would have probably given it a six. Uh, but – on subsequent viewings, um, the one I gave it today, I think I appreciated more the bright spots a bit more. And so I think I would give it a, a seven. And I think that'll be my final number rather than averaging them together. Let's just give it a final generous seven because uh, I love time travel stuff and I like economy when it's done well in the script. I just wish it had been a little bit better edited. Uh, and, and you know, I don't know, maybe – some some other kind of like coach to help uh, Wesley figure out Kirk here. I don't know. I don't want to give up on the guy, but he's just not finding it yet in a way that is compelling. And then uh, I wanted to reinforce, I didn't read that article uh, that Nate mentioned, but I wanted to make sure I was understanding it correctly because it's intriguing. Is what he's saying that basically they want to remain they're kind of rebooting all the old timeline dates and kind of nudging them forward out of canon, Nate. Is that what you get from that? So that That's what I get from his quote here, yes. Yeah, that, so uh, we basically wanted to make it look trying like... trying to change everything so it matches uh, our world, which it should And shouldn't. I think that I get where he's coming from. I don't know that I necessarily agree with it, but it's kind of like, you know how like when you see now, um, right, where uh, – when they talk about the Terminator 2, when Judgment Day was, right? It was like on whatever day in 1991 or 1994, whenever the hell it was, right? We laugh, right? Because it's like kind of passed by and it's like, that didn't happen. And it kind of just makes the show seem dated, right? And so I kind of think that's what he's getting at with this. We talk about eugenics wars happening in 1996, right? I mean, it may be canon, whatever. I'm not a super canon slave myself because I'm like, sometimes you have to adapt especially depending on who your audience is. And I think that that's probably what he means. I don't think he probably explained it super well, but it's probably a necessary thing to sort of seem relevant to a current audience so that they don't think that those aspirational ideas are something that's part of a dated past. It's still pretending we had World War III in the 90s. <laughs> so I think that's probably where he's coming from. I just want to make sure you had the same take on that as I was getting because it's, it's a lot to take in. But I hadn't read that yet. It's interesting. But uh, so, yeah, for me, it's a it's a little goofy show um, in places. Oh, and one more thing, you know, um, I don't know how everyone else feels. I'd love to hear what you guys are thinking at this point um, uh, on this topic. And uh, this is maybe a good segue to pass it off to Charles or Jim. But, uh, I can just I'm finding Peleus so distracting with that accent. <laughs> it's just. It's so goofy and comedic, and I feel like the show veers into comedy so often, so strongly leaning into comedy that it feels more like Lower Decks at sometimes than classic Trek to me. Uh, and I really like the fact that they went hard into the more tragic ending uh, with Kirk getting shot 
Um, to me, that was really unexpected, and I thought it gave it a lot of extra heft and gravitas at the end, which was really nice. And uh, I think it was uh, David commenting on her performance there when she was crying at the end, and she calls him up to make sure he's still alive, some version of his own life. Really compelling and beautiful moment. So for, to me, that kind of saved it, because it was just so much sticky comedy going on, especially with Carol Kane. Wow. So it's just no, such I a hard... Understand. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead and no, finish No, no, go ahead, please. I was, just, I was talk... just thinking out loud. Okay. <laughs> so I, if, if, I understand with that actress, she was in Taxi, the TV show Taxi, and in The Princess Bride, and was in both of those, uh, the movie and the TV show, she had the same kind of accent and... Uh, and now I haven't watched either of those in a long time, uh, but that's that's what I heard through people talking is that uh, that that accent is her character. It's kind of like I guess Will Smith always plays Will Smith type of thing, no matter what character he plays. So if that's the case, that's very unfortunate, I think. Well, oh, just I'll, in terms I'll jump of that's in how she sure. holds on. Yeah, it's it is. I find it super distracting, man. It's like you know, it's it's going to be hard for me to ever picture that she's you know going to do a serious scene, right? I mean, it's just it's because it's so sticky. It's like a Mel Brooks movie all of a sudden when she shows up. <laughs> oh man. Well, I'll tell you what. That's a Southern Vermont accent that she's got because, as you guys know. Uh, they crossed the Canadian border to go to her antique shop, which is in southern Vermont. So I thought that was great. They took Vermont taxi, bribed the border guards all the way there to find her. So that's a southern Vermont accent. I like to say. Anyway. <laughs> I don't think I'm quite ready to swallow that one, Jim. <laughs> Sorry, so the show was a 10 for Jim just on the principle that Vermont was in it. Okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They to, they, Jim's like, they, 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 they drove a red car. I like red cars. I'm giving it a yeah, 10. They went to Vermont. And, uh, <laughs> but they, they did show uh, a clip on the TV, and they got it right because you saw Vermont, you saw Quebec, you saw Ticonderoga. They actually got it right, which is amazing. But, yeah, they did take her Vermont taxi. They come to Vermont. They find her. I do agree, Paul. I, I'm not liking her. I like Hemmer much better. Um, Me too. She's just, I want to like her. She's so a nice person. But, you know, Hemmer was such a great character, man. I'm, yeah. I miss that guy. He was great. She's quirky. I, I just, she's just quirky. I, I can't. I can barely understand what she says. And I, I, I don't know. I got, she's got to grow on me, I guess. But the fact that she's from southern Vermont is a plus for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> um, I, you know, and also, like, how does Captain Kirk know about hot dogs if he never grew up on Earth? That is an interesting hot dog. In the future, they don't eat hot dogs, but he seemed to love them. He chowed down on two of them. Um, well, they still have, have, like, no, you know, you know what hot dogs are made out of. Maybe that's what they have on all the deep space lunar replicators, right? It's just an yeah. endless, endless vat of pig could intestines. Be. <laughs> could be. Uh, but yeah, how did you know about people will romanticize anything? Yeah. At any rate, though, uh, she's talking about the temporal time wars. Is she? Uh, is she referring to Carl when Carl said he was used? 
did the is that what they're referring to when they uh when they took Carl and moved him to another planet somewhere so no one could find him? Is that what she was referring to? I, I'm not sure. But mm, um, I don't know, man. The temporal time wars, we've heard about it on Enterprise. Uh, when they find the Guardian of Forever, a.k.a. Carl, on Discovery, he says that he was abused and used during the temporal time wars, and that's why they hid him where Discovery found him. So I was just assuming that, that the Romulans found Carl, and that's how they got her back there. But I, I don't know that for a fact. But Because yeah. she mentions the time wars, he mentions the time wars, Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But she's been there for 30 years trying to find Khan. Um, you know, she found him, but not quite the Khan she was looking for. So this is this is the second episode in a row that doesn't have a B story. That's what a lot of people are talking about. It felt long because it was all on and Kirk. There was no B story. It was, it was just like the trial last week. It was all the trial. There was nothing else. And I think that Close things down if you're not into the episode because it's one continuous story. So that that's a parallel that I wanted to throw out there. Um, when they go into the store and they steal the clothes, correct me if I'm wrong, Nate, but aren't Starfleet communicators made of pure gold? Isn't that what the Ferengi said? I believe so. Well, if they're wearing two gold badges on them, they have all the money they need right then and there. So why right, but we out? don't know what the United Earth Fleet badge is made out of. It could be a, a cheap movie prop. <laughs> That's true. But La'an was wearing a Starfleet uh, insignia. Yep. So, and wouldn't, wouldn't throwing that in the garbage cause a possible disruption in the timeline if someone were to find those and reverse engineer them? I would think. Yeah, tra- tra- transparent I mean, aluminum, right? Star Trek Four. Yeah. Who, I who says he didn't invent it, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, you know, that's weird that they're throwing them in the garbage. Uh, strange. Absolutely. Um, as far as, as Paul Wesley's Kirk, uh, my wife loves the Vampire Diaries, and, we're, and he starred on that. So we're watching it, and she keeps referring to him as the vampire from uh, Stefan. I think it was Stefan from uh, Vampire Diaries. And I just keep pointing out to people that this is the second time we've seen him, but we've never seen Prime Kirk. Both times we saw him was an alternate universe version of Kirk. And he says on, um, on the Ready Room that he hasn't gotten to the Kirk we all know yet. This is all alternate universe Kirk. Christina Chong did hint at the fact that we might see the real Captain Kirk show up on episode nine. So we'll have to see how that goes. So this oh, is wow. Awesome. Very specific. She gives the actual yeah. episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is why I don't nine. watch the ready so, room. <laughs> yeah, they do, so, do a lot of spoilers at times. Let's tell you everything. So nothing's a surprise. I'm like, Jesus. Yeah, this is an alternate <laughs> Kirk. So we got to, you know, this isn't, this isn't the Shatner Kirk. If he starts talking like Shatner, then we'll know. But um, until he does, We've yet to see his portrayal of Kirk. Um, as far as the article that Nate was talking about, the way I the way I take that article, I was gonna I was gonna talk about that anyways because there's been so much chatter on uh, the internet about that. The way I take that article is that 
uh, Star Trek, when, when they wrote it in the 60s, they picked an arbitrary date 30 years in the future so that when you're watching Star Trek, what you're seeing is happening in the future. 30 years ago, they had no idea that 57 years later, Star Trek would still be alive and kicking. So when they start making these episodes that center around those events, in order to keep it uh, relevant, like Paul said, and keep it uh, uh, sci-fi centric, they have to change those dates. Otherwise, you're sitting here laughing at it, like Space 1999. You know, as soon as they, <laughs> you know, good, good, excellent as, reference. As soon as they assign a specific date, it's no longer science fiction. So I don't have a problem with them shifting the dates uh, because of the time that Strange New World is being made. It's being made today after World War III, after the eugenics wars, as they were supposedly, you know, 30 years ago. So changing those dates keeps it, um, you know, from being laughable to us watching it in 2023. So I, I don't particularly have a big problem with that. What I didn't understand, though, how is Khan nine years old? I can't for the life of me figure that out unless there's multiple cons, unless on, on Star Trek Picard, Eric soon pulls out the con file. It says con 1996. Maybe he cloned multiple cons, uh, you know, like he did with Corey. I don't know, but that was a little bit weird. That, that yeah, I think though, young. man, you know, I mean, there's, uh, this is always where I have to sort of be a bit of devil's advocate, right? Because you've got all these showrunners and all these people and all these different areas working and everyone's kind of doing their own thing, right? And, and you know, they, they certainly strive to have some continuity, but I think if you, like, hold these dates and these events and you expect everything to fit together like a magical Rubik's Cube of continuity – I think you will always be disappointed because at the end of the day, it's just like writers will do what is most convenient to make that particular story work. And, and no one's ever going to say, no one's ever going to burst into the Paramount writer's room and say, no, this is against canon. There's a man in Idaho who's very upset. I mean, it's just never going to happen. So there's going to well, be constant, I, I, you know, flood of stuff that just doesn't fit like that. Is this, everyone's doing their own works, thing. I think it works well. I think it works well for the character of La'an because had it been Khan and not a child, it, it might have been more difficult for her. But seeing Khan as a child, it changes your, the way you see him. You, you know what I'm saying? You know, it's like if you could go back in time and kill baby Hitler, would you? You're still yeah, exactly. Yeah, so exactly. I, really I think like that's the, what, the kind of thing that, they were referencing for sure. And for La'an to see... Uh, that delicate, that childhood innocence. I know that's not the right word, but Khan that way instead of the way she sees him in her mind, I think was relevant to the character. So I, I get why they went in that direction. So that you know, uh, is, is that but, the reason why she left the gun in there to help Khan? Well, I was gonna. Uh, that was my next point. She didn't actually leave the gun there because security was running down the hallway. So I'm 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 a hundred percent positive that security went in the room to make sure Khan was there and they picked up the gun. I'm sure oh, security didn't leave the gun laying on the floor for the kid to play with because she pushed security was running down the hallway. So I'm positive 
they went in and picked up the gun. I, I don't think they would have just left it there and said, oh, well, he's got a gun, forget about it. I'm pretty sure security <laughs> picked it up when they got there. Um, so, um, yeah, that that was my, my uh, take on the whole thing. And uh, my overall score, I think, is going to be an 8.5, I think I'm going to go with, um, overall. Oh, there was one thing. I don't like the music. I didn't like the music in in the Klingon episode, and I still didn't like the music in this one. I It just doesn't – when they have these chase scenes, the music just – it's not right. It just doesn't – it's not right. I don't know. I, I'm just not digging the soundtrack that they – Oh, like the contemporary it. rock or whatever that was when they're, when they're doing the car chase? Yeah, I just – That kind of music? Just, oh, like, dude, that was terrible. I, I couldn't agree more. I, it was terrible. I didn't like it. I'm a stickler for, for music. I think music really puts sets a mood for a scene and didn't do it uh, for me. So that's my score overall, and we're going to let Charles bring up the caboose. Go ahead, Charles. Okay. going to bring up some notes up here to catch people. Uh, I'll rearrange these. Badges. Okay. When they officially say there was gold in the badge, because I know Kirk did not have a gold badge. Well, Kirk, like Nate said, Kirk had that that funky United Earth thing going on. Right. No, no. I'm talking TOS Kirk. Oh, well, they didn't have badges. They had had so-on patches. Feeling that the gold and the special abilities were towards the TNG communicator. The Strange New World is not wearing a communicator. It is still just a piece of metal. It is not, I believe, used to find people for the most part. So I'm not sure there's a whole lot of tech in the badge. So I'm not sure dumping the badges is actually going to get much help because it's a piece of metal. If they do use them to track characters, I'm not sure that uh, they're going to be tracked very well because they may not know such equipment. Uh, Bring up one of Eric's points, Mbega. He wasn't crazy about the warrior part of it, but to me, Mbega's still a bit of a counselor for some of the crew members. And for Leon, she, he, he, she needs a sparring partner. And since we know he's shown with some combat skills, and I think we get to see a little bit of his skill set which actually rather interests me. He's not combative. He's just protecting himself. Sorry about all the pings in the background. Somebody's busy flooding chat with a a, uh, astronomical meeting. Okay. Something I noticed Rather interesting, Ortega's. Did anybody notice uh, noticed Ortega on the on Kirk's bridge? 
She was not yeah, in the, the left seat. Yeah, the whole crew was still there. No, she was in the right chair, not the left chair. She was in a different seat. We don't know the guy that was sitting in her seat, but somebody was in her chair. Oh. So I thought it interesting that there was a change-up of a little bit of crew members. Even though I do like uh, Ahura's look at Leon, when it's like, Leon's not in uniform? She did double take. It's like, okay, I get that we don't see Leon out of uniform much. <sighs> I think this gave, it a great, uh, gave us a great backstory for Leon. We know she's had a troubled past. We'll be kind of continue on seeing how life goes on for her. No, this isn't Prime Kirk, but I still think it's an. I still think he makes an interesting Kirk. He's still the charmer. He's still out there, nine to, not wanting to make risks but still willing at the right point to make risk. He's going to jump in to get himself shot. Well, that's something I think Kirk would do. So, and for Pella, I I actually make make her, okay, she is in the past. We find her... Not sharing what to do with herself in in Vermont. Because they thought, oh, we're looking for a scientist, engineer. And it's like, nope, she's an antique dealer. It's like, yeah, but she's been around. She's been able to get a hold of some stuff because of how long she's been on the planet. I think it makes her an interesting character. The voice doesn't bother me. I kind of like the taxi persona. Maybe she was all the way back in taxi in the 70s with a taxi company. But I thought this, I, I do understand the story feeling long. It's like, okay, this episode's going longer than I expected it to, but yet I'm sitting back and enjoying what they're doing with it. As we've had comments, well, they don't, we don't want a 45-minute episode. They're not giving us enough. Okay, we get a 64-minute episode, and it's too long. So there has to be a happy medium somewhere. Uh, is anybody on your switchboard, Jim? Yes, there is. I'm just waiting for you to give us your score, and we're going to get to our caller. Okay. Then I will go with matching your score in 8.5, as I like this one. All right. So what what does that give us overall as compared to the fans? Uh, compared to the fans, okay, actually, interesting. A 7.166, which I guess we could round up to a 7.2, which would come us right at with the fans. 
Wow. <laughs> wow. Awesome. All right. Well, let's see. We do have a caller on the line, and I'm going to answer right now. If my little, if my gremlins, there we go. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk. And what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Hi, I am Terrence from uh, good old Las Vegas. Terrence, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. Long time no see. <laughs> we haven't heard from you in a while. Yeah, lots of reasons. <laughs> That's okay. So, so. Terrence, yeah. what would you, what score would you give this episode and why? Uh, this is the one with Kirk and Lenon going back in time, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. You you guys are not gonna. Like, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure you already got a uh, a broadside from uh, from poor uh, Nate from poor Nate. But I, yeah, I'm uh, I'm gonna give this a four. I'm sorry. I I did not like this episode for for uh, for one major reason. And what was that major uh, the reason? Whole, the, the con, the con thing, the whole, the whole con's a child and, uh, and everything. Um, didn't mind, didn't mind the whole Kirk was not our Kirk. I mean, I don't, I don't see him as a, my Kirk any as, as the classic Kirk anyway, but as you said, it's an alternate universe. Uh, I agree with Paul and some others. I can't stand, uh, the new engineer. Um, she's basically playing her, uh, character from the Princess Bride and, uh, taxi in star trek so i'm like okay i really i'm really hoping we can move to scotty or bring back or bring back the uh andorian please because <laughs> it doesn't feel good it doesn't feel like star trek um yeah the big that 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 was a big one though i did i did enjoy the kirkisms you know kirk getting the girl kirk taking his shirt off you know uh kirk being heroic you know, even though it is, uh, thank you now for giving me the minute label for him. Now he's the Vampire Diaries Kirk. Because I was like, <laughs> I can't for it. Now he's the Vampire Diaries Kirk to me forever now. Uh, but, yeah, that's basically basically all that. I mean, I don't need to rehash a lot of what you already heard guys about that. But basically, yeah, that's it, it's the major change. And I know what what uh, uh, Goldsman said basically about you know he's trying to he's trying to basically take Star Trek and put it in our world basically which I don't like. I mean it's a fan it's a piece of fantasy. I mean or sci-fi. It's not meant to be in our world. Our and no offense we passed we passed being Star Trek about three thirty years ago. I mean twenty or thirty years ago. I mean and oh to to correct you guys we're not yet at the World War Three. That's twenty forty. And given what's in Ukraine, we still have the possibility of a third world war. So don't don't worry, guys. We still might have a chance. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the eugenics. I'm like, no, I'm fine with it being in the 90s, man. Don't change stuff. I hate change. <laughs> so that's my quick little thing on that, basically. All right, excellent. Does, well, thank you so much for four raise our group score at all. Charles, what, I'm sorry. The, his his ranking of a four uh, raise our uh, rating at all. Raise it. Well, 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 yeah, well, he gave uh, a because, four because again, because three and two are like I will have to go for, do physical damage at that point. I'm like uh, three is really like three is what I gave Discovery the first episode where I basically tuned out for the rest of the whole series. So I can't give I can't give this a four if I want to keep continue. I mean, I can't give it a three unless I want to keep continue. So I'll keep it about it's 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 fighting it's 
three it, three and four fighting each other right now for me. Yeah, it's I was just, just curious. That I really... Go ahead, Terrence. No, I was just say for me, like for me, three means I'm I'm going to stop watching the series. So. <laughs> But for Charles, I, I thought maybe since Terrence gave a four, it upped our rating higher than the fans' uh, average. Then maybe. No. If no, we include, I, I love being... If we include Terrence's score, I think it's down to a six point seven. All right, well, there you have it. Six point seven. Six point seven for us then. All right. Well, guys, that wraps up our review of tomorrow is tomorrow is tomorrow is tomorrow is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that brings us up to Star Trek birthdays. That was not a Klingon song. All right, we start off our Star Trek birthdays each and every week by remembering those members of our Star Trek family who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. And for this week, we're going to turn to Paul. Take it away, Paul. Thanks, Uncle Jim. We have all kinds of folks that we are celebrating here who have boldly gone where all of us will eventually go at some points. So first of all, we're going to start with original series. There's a lot of original series folks in our remembrances this week. Uh, We'd like to give a uh, mad dose of props to actress Charlene Polite, who portrayed Vanna in the original series third season episode, The Cloudminders. Terrific episode. Um, really uh, great at showcasing those class distinctions. Uh, Vanna was the uh, the one of the two uh, women characters in that episode who was the minor, right? The troglodytes who were <laughs> troglites who were confined to the, below the surface, right? And unable to uh, experience the joys of the beautiful cloudy utopia above but she was great super gritty performance um definitely the one that uh, kirk was more drawn to if you remember we'd also like to uh wish happy birthday to actor guy raymond okay uh from new york uh who <laughs> great face great presence we got a couple of folks who share this episode from the classic original series the trouble with tribbles episode inevitably everybody's top grouping of favorite episodes this one ranks up there pretty high but on deep space station k7 guy raymond was the beleaguered bartender (laughs) dealing with with all that trivial mania in his place of business right and just great and right next door to guy raymond we have actor william shallard Okay, why do I mention William Shallard? Well, actor William Shallard played Nils Barris, a Federation bureaucrat, in that very same episode from season two, The Trouble with Tribbles. <laughs> so you, you like to hope that at some point there was a mutual birthday uh, drinking shenanigans on the set of The Trouble with Tribbles, right? Because you got the bartender and, uh, and Nils Barris sharing a birthday. Hopefully that led to some, at least a cake, fellas. Come on. So some nonsense there. But uh, we also acknowledge William Shallot's portrayal from Deep Space Nine's second season episode, Sanctuary, where he played a character on that as well, as Barani. So a couple of different Trouble with Tribbles uh, actors celebrating the same birthday. 
And also, a uh, huge luminary, I think, and a, a little underappreciated one in the Star Trek universe is we're acknowledging the birthday of Hal. Hey, guys, hit the mute button if you're on there for me. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Uh, we're remembering Hal Sutherland, who was a wonderful uh, force in animation uh, for ages. But Hal Sutherland directed six episodes of Star Trek the Animated Series for Season 1. 16 episodes. Pretty amazing. I mean, this is a guy who just worked his whole life in the animation business. Uh, the old uh, New Adventures of Superman uh, show from the late 60s. Uh, Flash Gordon. Uh, the Fat Albert series. He was on everything. Uh, but uh, I think a lot of us really acknowledge his, his great, great work on season one of, uh, of the animated series. And again, that's like a magical, crazy fourth season of Star Trek, really, because you've got so many of the uh, same cast members there. It's really remarkable. Uh, pretty fantastic to be able to watch that show. So if you never really explored the animated series, highly recommend it. Some great stuff that is waiting to be uh, discovered there for you. So pretty cool stuff indeed. We've got some more birthdays to talk about, though. Um, I'd like to go back again, original series, to actor Richard Tatro, who played the sort of primary android named Norman in the original series, second season episode, I Mud. Norman is great because he's just, he's just so odd with his behavior. And Richard Tatro played that just so well. It's just like he's the ubiquitous human being, but just odd. And just this kind of threatening, we will take care of you. <laughs> delivery. It was just great. Really, really cool performer. So Richard Tatro, uh, great, great, great presence. Really excited to be able to acknowledge this next gentleman for his birthday remembrance here. Uh, accomplished veteran actor of stage, film, and television, Brock Peters, okay, who did a couple of huge roles in Star Trek. Uh, he played Admiral Cartwright in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, and Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Um, we don't have Eric here to weigh in about where he falls on the bad admiral uh, spectrum, but uh, <laughs> it could be on two ends of the spectrum if you have it there. And then uh, later on, on Deep Space Nine, on the series, he played Joseph Sisko as well. But uh, Brock Peters is, I think, just uh, a luminary, uh, really. If you look at uh, movies and TV from uh, going all the way back to uh, the before the heyday of the 70s, uh, we really started to see Brock Peters a lot in the 70s where he was showing up on TV shows like Mannix, uh, The Mod Squad, uh, Gunsmoke, and uh, sci-fi fans remember him as uh, the chief opposite uh, Charlton Heston and uh, Soylent Green, uh, Slaughter's Big Ripoff, Streets of San Francisco, McLeod, Beretta, all those great shows, right? Uh, the Bionic Woman, Battlestar Galactica, uh, this is a guy who was just in everything. Um, in the uh, early 1980s, uh, sci-fi fans, you may remember the original radio drama of Star Wars. Well, guess what? Brock Peters voiced Darth Vader in that radio serial. So pretty darn cool that he's able to do that as well. Uh, uh, I would say Brock Peters, frankly, 
you got to think of the guy as a legend. He's just really, really great and super talented, charismatic individual. So really great to see somebody like that shining on forever in the Star Trek universe. I'd like to also wish birthday greetings to William Meter, who played Admiral Lindstrom in the original series first season episode court martial a lot of us just watched court martial recently uh because of uh the ad astra strange new worlds episode again and we're just looking at the continuities of things there and comparing dress uniforms but really great uh admiral lindstrom was portrayed by william meter absolutely great to wish you a happy birthday sir in the great beyond and finally for me, uh, I'd like to uh, acknowledge a next generation birthday here, um, the absolutely magical and enchanting Ward Costello. <laughs> one of my favorite episodes ever is from season one of Next Gen is uh, it's kind of a right up against each other, coming of age and conspiracy because there's a little overlap there, but it's really conspiracy where actor Ward Costello really shined as uh, Admiral, Rear Admiral Gregory Quinn, somebody who's hiding a secret in his lower intestines there. And you better be careful if that secret comes out. <laughs> Conspiracy's great. And uh, he really did a fantastic job of conveying uh, of somebody who's supposed to be a dignified, respected, non-threatening older man suddenly imbued with the power of, like, uh, you know, a Lipizzan stallion. <laughs> it's just frightening and really cool. So all kinds of great folks that we've got celebrating birthdays who are no longer with us. But you know what? You may not be with us here in the contemporary here and now, friends. But because of your portrayals in Star Trek, you truly live on forever. So we salute you. Happy birthday to you all, and I'm going to pass that uh, photon candle over to Charles. Oh, thank you, Paul. Start off with uh, one of our bigger birthdays. Happy birthday to Dominic Keaton, who betrayed Enterprise's NX-01's armory officer, Lieutenant Malcolm Reed, on Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, a few things he's been on, but I thought it interesting that he's involved with quite a few voicing on video games, including World of Warcraft and the Diablo series. Michael Higgins portrayed the Mako Corporal B. Scott in the Star Trek Enterprise's third season episode, Zindi, and the fourth season episode, In the Mirror Darkly Part 2 except that he's not credited for either of these roles as an actor. His main work is stunt work. Though we did appear in both episodes and did get, did get credit for stunt work in Amir Darkly, he did not actually get much credit for either episode. But he's done stunt work in many major movies, including many of the Marvels and Transformer movies. Happy birthday to Brian George, who appeared as R Richard Bajir in Star Trek's Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, fifth season episode, Dr. Bajir, I presume. And Ozala in Star Trek Voyager's seventh season episode, Drive. He's also been doing stuff with video games, who's also worked in World of Warcraft and Diablo. Has also done quite a bit of DC animation voices and appeared in six episodes of Expanse. 
Robert Idio, Canadian-Japanese actor who played Lieutenant Chang in Star Trek's Next Generation first season episode, Coming of Age, and John Kim in the Star Trek Voyager's seventh season episode, Author, Author. Had a regular role way back in Quincy M.E. If you remember the Japanese actor that worked with Quincy, that was him. Probably one of Jim's list of favorite movies. He was Adventures of Baccarat Bonsai Across the Eighth Dimension. And is currently frequently frequently a voice actor now. Happy birthday to Saul Rubikin. German-born Canadian actor who played Kivas Fajo in Star Trek's Next Generation Third season episode, Most Toys. Interesting. He was not the original Kivas Fajo. Was an emergency replacement for David Rapport on Most Toys. When David could not do the role, he took over. Uh, has been, appeared in several episodes of Warehouse 13 and is known for playing the anti-hero character with ambiguous resolutions. Happy birthday to Cade Boyer, who played the role of Zero One in Star Trek's Next Generation episode 11001001. No, they're not binary, non-binary characters, Jim. Appeared in two science fiction films directed by Steven Spielberg, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, and Minority Report. Happy birthday to Ian Lake, who played Talor in Star Trek Discovery's third season season episode, Scavengers and the Sanctuary. And finally, a happy birthday to Emily Coote, a Canadian actress who played the helmsman, Kayla Detmer, in Star Trek Discovery. So far for 49 episodes. Paul, keep this living train going. I'll (laughs) give you that candle back to you. The living train chugs on, brother. Excellent. All right. We are going to go back to uh, original series, first season country, where we all love being, right? And we're going to go to, uh, uh, I believe it was the last episode of the season, if I'm not mistaken, but episode Operation Annihilate where we first got a look at uh, Sam Kirk, uh, Jim Kirk's brother. And we are here to say happy birthday to Morishka Tagliaferro, uh, the actress who played Yoman Zahara in that episode. Goes down that landing party and is trying to avoid the crazy phalanx of flying scrambled eggs <laughs> running around there. All kinds of problems. Get away from them. But happy birthday, Morishka. It is great to acknowledge you. And uh, thanks for being part of the Star Trek universe. Hey, Enterprise fans, guess what? If you remember the second season episode, Bounty, okay? The character Gavrin, excuse me, Gavrin, was played by the great Ed O'Ross. Ed O'Ross is one of those character actors who you see in everything. Just beefy, tough guy, right? If you uh, remember, the 1980s, you'd see this guy in everything. Classic sci-fi movies like The Hidden. I bet Jim's a fan of The Hidden. You know that movie, Jim? I love it. I, in fact, I just watched it last week. 
Yeah, I had a hunch that was going to be right up your street, brother. Yeah, the hidden's just like, it's just, oh, goodness. But Ed's in that. He was in Action Jackson, Red Heat, um, The Outsiders, Another 48 Hours. He's just a uh, universal soldier. A lot of people love that. He's just a badass. <laughs> That's really cool, right? Uh, if you're looking for a tough guy, really hard to find anybody better than Ed O'Ross. And he was also in Star Trek, which makes him even cooler. So happy birthday, Ed O'Ross. You are a talent, sir. Happy birthday goes out to actress Tien Tron. Uh, she's also a comedian, and she voiced Ensign Anya in that Lower Decks third season episode, Hear All, Trust Nothing. <laughs> Those crazy episode titles that they have here. Uh, I'd like to wish a big happy birthday to Sharon Lawrence, who played Amelia Earhart in the Voyager episode, The 37th. Very cool episode, very cool depiction of a historical character. So Sharon Lawrence, happy birthday to you, my friend. And closing out uh, this segment for me, uh, this is always a really interesting part in Star Trek history, but we are acknowledging French-Canadian actress Genevieve Boujol, Genevieve Boujol, excuse my pronunciation there, Genevieve Boujol, uh, because she was the first choice for the producers to portray Captain Janeway on Star Trek Voyager, okay? But she was cared, called Captain Nicole Janeway, at the time. So Star Trek fans to the YouTube with you. <laughs> and if you are tenacious, you can find footage and clips of uh, an, an, a little bit of a taste of what that would have been like. But let's just say um, we always like to talk on Star Trek, how matter and antimatter don't really belong in the same environment, right? That they, there's a clash and combustibility and, Things don't go well when those two elements are put in the same place. Well, it sounds like that was a similar situation here. And uh, we're not blaming anybody or saying it's anyone's fault, but it just sounds like it was not a good fit, as they say. And everyone just kind of went their own ways. But a very popular actress who certainly had a huge career in uh, movies like Coma and uh, whatnot. I mean, she's just done a ton of stuff. I mean, if you uh, check out her credits it's uh it's just kind of uh crazy uh wonderful david cronenberg movie uh not for everyone but uh dead ringers okay that's a movie if you are into some crazy stuff and you like cronenberg you should definitely check out um i mentioned coma Uh, that's a movie a lot of uh folks don't necessarily know but should know just because it's from uh, michael Crichton, who actually directed it so if you're a Crichton fan Check it out, but she's done a ton of really cool jobs, a lot of work um, and interesting things, and for a brief, uh, strange moment, uh, was part of the Star Trek universe. So happy birthday, Genevieve. It is great to acknowledge you and all of our other birthdays that we are uh, raising our glasses to this particular week. And with that, I'll push it back to Jim. Well, I would like to wish this guy a happy birthday, but I only wish him happy birthdays on Tuesdays. Beheadings are on Wednesdays. Truck talking is on Thursday. But I'll make an exception and say happy birthday to Alan Ruck, who played Captain John Harriman of the Enterprise B in Star Trek Generations. Uh, a lot of people might know him from another movie called Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So happy birthday to Alan Ruck. The Jim, do you watch guy, Succession? No. 
<laughs> it's a crazy show, but Alan Ruck is nuts on that show, dude. He is nuts. Oh my Tuesday god! Night? It, it is on. It's uh, it's on any night you want because it's no longer uh, it's no longer in uh, prime rotation. It's in uh, reruns now, but it's on HBO. But uh, crazy stuff, dude. But it's totally up into your opinion of Alan Ruck. He's nuts. I'll have to go and check it out. So we Isn't there a fan a film that he reprises the role of uh, John Harriman in, too? Yes. Yes, there is. And I, if I remember correctly, I think Michelle Nichols is in that episode as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I believe so. Cool. Yeah. Um, I also want to say happy birthday to Tim O'Connor, character actor who appears as Ambassador Brom in Star Trek The Next Generation fifth season episode, The Perfect Mate. Little trivia question, I've never seen that episode. The only episode of TNG that I missed, and I'm going to keep it that way, just so that I can say I haven't seen every single episode. But if you're a product of the 70s, such as myself, you know him as Dr. Ewer from Buck Rogers um, with Tweaky. So happy birthday to Tim O'Connor. All right, got to take a deep breath for this next one. <laughs> because... <laughs> Legend. Because I feel like a dumbass and I'm going to put my foot up your ass if you stop. So here we go. <laughs> we want to say happy birthday to Kurt Wood Smith, who Woo! played the Federation president in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, Brax in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, fifth season episode, Anorak in Star Trek Voyager's fourth season episode, Year of Hell and Year of Hell Part Two and voiced the Imperium Magistrate Clar in Star Trek Lower Decks' first season episode, Veredia. <sighs> but, 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 I think most of us know him as Red Foreman from that 70s show. He reprised oh, no. the role on that <laughs> 90s show. And uh, Red Foreman, I just love Red Foreman. So, Happy birthday to Kurt. Dude, you got to mention now, his most important role. You got to. You got to. I'm begging you. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you left you one gotta. out. He, 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 you, you, you might also know him from this little, this little movie, Dead or Alive, You're Coming With Me. Um, he was in Kurt Robo. Smith gave us the line, bitches leave. Sayonara, <laughs> <laughs> RoboCop. Great yep. villain in that movie. One of the greatest villains of all time, man. Clarence Bodiger. I don't think there's anyone more disturbing. He's just, Kurtwood Smith is insane in that movie. He's the best bad guy ever, dude. He is awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I always save the Klingons for last. And I've, I've got yes. some here. So uh, the first one isn't exactly a Klingon, but without him, we wouldn't have Klingons. Well, we would the way we know them. So I'm going to send out a huge kapla to Mark Okran. And I hope you guys listening know who he is, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Mark Okran was the inventor of the Klingon language. He was hired by Paramount Pictures to invent the language and coach the actors in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, the best Star Trek movie ever, and Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Now, originally, Jimmy Dewan wrote the Klingon language, the few lines that we see in Star Trek, the motion picture, but they wanted to flush out the language and have, have a more uh, flowing language, so they brought in Mark Okran. You can buy the Klingon Dictionary, the Conversational Klingon, and you haven't heard 
uh, Shakespeare until you've read it in its original Klingon. So happy birthday and kapla to Mark O'Cran. The next one we have, I want to say kapla to Dan Desmond. Uh, he's the actor from Rancine, Wisconsin, who played the Klingon Chancellor in Star Trek Enterprise second season episode, The Expanse. I wish they gave that dude a name, uh, but they didn't. He's just the Chancellor. So happy birthday and kapla to Dan Desmond. Wah! To Tom Maggie, former powerlifter, wrestler, and actor who played Becklar. Star Trek The Next Generation's fourth season episode, Devil's Do. Now, he's not exactly a Klingon, but he's the Klingon devil. So I threw him in there. Pretty, pretty awesome. Happy birthday to Tom Maggie. We also want to say kapla to Charles H. Hyman, who played Connell in Star Trek The Next Generation's first season episode, Heart of Glory. One of my favorite, favorite first season episodes. Happy birthday to Charles. That's where they take the disruptors and build it off their uniforms. So happy birthday to Charles Hyman. And the last one on my list, we want to say happy birthday and kapla to Colton Dunch, comedian, actor, writer, and producer. He voiced Captain Dorg in Star Trek Lower Decks episode, episode Widge Dodge, which is phenomenal. I wish I could remember Klingons are making fun of the Vulcans, and the Vulcans say live long and prosper. And the Klingons say something like, live short and die miserably or something like that. I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was hilarious. And that episode. Up, uh, uh, what, was, what did they say? Do you remember, Charles? I don't remember what they said, but, yeah, that was the same episode. That was the Lower Decks one with uh, Lower Decks, the Vulcans, and the, and the Klingons. Yeah, that was a great episode. And now, guys, it's time for Star Trek News. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level nine authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Okay, I'm going to pass the mic on over to Charles. Okay, let's go to Black Alert. New Star Trek Discovery, Black Alert, strategy board game. Star Trek Discovery, Black Alert is a new card-based strategy board game which puts player against one another as crew members of either the USS Discovery or the ISS Sharon, the Terran Empire's flagship. Developed and published by Levanner Studios and WizKit. Players divide into teams, and each team represents team members of either the USS Discovery or the ISS Sharon crew. Players take turns activating locations on their ship, navigating through the network, and attempt to accomplish missions. One crew is trying to return home, while the other wants to capture their ship. Play as the crew. Play as either crew. Players can play one on one, or they can form teams of two, with each person playing a different crew member. Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek Discovery. Black Alert. Can be pre-ordered for WizKid on the WizKid website, and expected uh, for about. Fifty-four ninety-nine expected for public release sometime 
the first quarter of 2023. Jim would like to try getting the author of this game on because he also has done work with Star Trek, uh, the Star Trek Attack Wing Alliance series. Yes, I have reached out to uh, Josh, and uh, we're going to have him on. We're going to talk about Attack Wing and Black Alert, so you want to stay tuned for that. Uh, My next story, uh, six years later, Star Trek is undoing a controversial canon change. If you're wondering if there will be a reappearance of the radical Mostafaru-esque Klingons from Star Trek Discovery Season 1 and Season 2, the short answer is not likely. Ahead of the launch of Star Trek Strange New World Season 2, showrunner Akiva Goldsman and Henry Alfonso Myers spoke about Discovery canon. It's really important that it's not a Discovery sequel for people who don't watch Discovery. Akiva Goldsman tells Inverse, what we try to do when it comes to the deeper dive into the more canonical material is this. If you don't know about the stuff, it's a cool TV show that lives on its own. If you do know it, then it's an utter delight. But we never use events that other shows fundamentally for story structure or emotion unless we re-explain it and recharge it so that it's new in the episode. So no, Star Trek is not the MCU. After a controversial redesign for Discovery Season 1, the Klingons now appear in Strange New World Season 2. Look more or less like the Klingons in most canning, complete with those famous foreheads. The overriding reason for returning to a classic design wasn't motivated only by fan service, but also by behind-the-scenes efficiency. A lot of what we're doing was for production purposes, Meyer says. The Discovery Klingons are tremendously hard to do. They are physically challenging, and they had a lot of stuff in their mouths to cover their whole heads. They limited the number of people who could have on these roles, so we were trying to find something in the middle that gave us the Klingon look we wanted and didn't have any extra challenges. So, that's why the Klingons look different, uh, basically to save money. All right, Paul, what do you got for us? Well, friend, here we go. Because actor Sir Patrick Stewart envisions one more extraordinary TNG movie, a follow-up to Star Trek Picard. After the third and final season of Star Trek Picard, which brought back the cast of Star Trek The Next Generation, fans have been wondering if there would be any follow-up. There's been a lot of buzz about a possible Star Trek legacy spinoff series focusing on the Enterprise G under the command of Captain Seven. But Patrick Stewart is also thinking about what could come next for himself and the TNG crew. Ka-ching! Stewart isn't ready to say goodbye just yet. After noting and laughing off how he was advised not to talk about a Picard follow-up, he said, I think we could do a movie, a Picard-based movie. Now, not necessarily all about Jean-Luc Picard, but about all of us, and to take many of those wonderful elements, particularly from season three of Picard, and take out of that what I think would be an extraordinary movie. I keep telling people and mentioning it, and so far there's been no eager response but it might well happen. And that would be, I think, a very appropriate way to say, and goodbye, folks. And make your agent very happy, too, as well. Now, guys, it's been 21 years since the last Next Generation feature film, with the box office disappointed of Star Trek Nemesis ending a run of four (coughs) Next Generation movies. So if not a theatrical feature film, 
Paramount Plus could do a made-for-streaming movie when they're not busy ripping beloved current members of their franchise out of rotation. The upcoming Section 31 movie starring Michelle Yeoh is reportedly the first of what they're hoping to be a series of Star Trek streaming movies. But here's my thing, uh, John Luke, on that, right? Have you ever been to a restaurant and had a really amazing, great steak, and it was just like, wow, that was the be-all and end-all. I'm never going to have a steak that good again. And you're just loving it, and it was a perfect thing, and it was one of the greatest dinners out you ever had. And then, like, a couple of weeks later, you decide to try to recreate that and go out and find that steak again. And it's like, uh, you know, like Ahab and the White Whale, right? You're like Don Quixote. It's just, it's, it's, sometimes it's just good to go out on that good note and not try to just keep perpetuating. Go out on a win, man. I think you just had a huge win. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, think, think long and hard. I'm sure everyone's hungry to continue to see what they can come up with and as far as future work. But uh, I think you ended on a pretty good note compared to what you've been up to. So we'll see. David, how about you, brother? What's on your uh, news uh, uh, above the fold there? Well, it sounds like I got news about a new Star Trek game called Star Trek Infinite. It's created by Paradox Interactive and Nimble Giant Entertainment. This immersive space strategy game sets players on an epic journey of space exploration and complex choices. It is up to the player to shape the destiny of their favorite Star Trek powers. The game adds one of your four playable factions, the United Federation of Planets, Romulan Star Empire, Cardassian Union, or Klingon Empire. From here, you go off with science ships to explore star systems and make first contact with other civilizations. The game will look quite familiar to fans of other Paradox Interactive games like Stellaris, but with a Star Trek twist. Your your fleets will be constructed at space stations. You start with one in your home system, like Q, uh, Kronos Station, and can build more with resources in your new territories. The gameplay between different factions will also be different, allowing for a good level of replayability. Star Trek Infinite launches on PC Mac OS later this year. And yeah, I think that sounds about right. If you're really familiar with Delores, uh, it's going to be very familiar, and I'll uh, pass it on to Charles. Thank you, David. Okay, so I think something I mentioned a couple episodes ago. Strange New World Super Serum will be explained in Season 2, says Star Trek director. Star Trek Strange New World's Chris Fitcher says the super serum used by Joseph and Bega and nurse Christine Chapel will be explained later in season two. And Strange New World season two's premiere, The Broken Circle, Chapel and Mega are captured by Klingons on the planet Kijitar 4. Relying on their experiences and start discoveries, Klingon war, and controversial hypo spray and enhanced Mbega and Chapel fight off the Klingons and are rescued by the USS Enterprise. 
Doctor Mbega and Nurse Chapel break break some unspoken rules by booting themselves with some sort of super serum. And the fact they are using used it before in the Klingon War was a startling discovery. Mbega said he always carried the hyperspray with him. And there are surely ramifications existence of this that that season two will address along with the substance origin. So we're gonna wow. learn a bit of the secret about what it actually is. I'm looking forward to an explanation. As I've just yeah. spoken before, I talked about the Klingon uh Klingon adrenaline in the comic series. Klingon meth, man. I, I'm not going anywhere <laughs> near it. I'm staying away. No way. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to explain how two people that didn't have any combat experience now are like super killers and stuff, but I'll wait to hear their explanation. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Klingon hormones. It'll do it to you every time. <laughs> hmm. Oh, well. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up another awesome podcast. So I want to say thank you to Nate for calling in and hanging out with us and sharing your opinions. Thank you, Nate. You're welcome. And I also want to say thank you to Terrence, whom we haven't heard from in a while, but thank you so much, Terrence. Oh, yeah. Or talk to you. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I want to say thank you to our very own Charles for hanging out and talking with us tonight as well. Thank you, Charles. Oh, thank you. I will always enjoy myself. And thank you so much to the burger guy tonight, David. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, it was really fun. I got a quick question. If a turkey runs away, does that make it a chicken? <laughs> Only if he crosses the road. Okay. <laughs> Great fun, guys. No, it makes it a turkey that doesn't end up as turkey dinner. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, of course, thank you so much to Paul for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Paul. Oh, brother, it was great. Really super fun and super uh, appreciative of having our callers come in like tonight and Terrence and Nate. Really cool to get a bunch of additional perspectives and all. everyone's passionate about this cool episode. So that was great. I had one other question occur to me though. I'm hoping everyone could, can we have like just 30 seconds to, to figure it out? I'm just, I couldn't Absolutely. figure this out at the end of this episode, right? The Romulan, when she like gets shot and she falls down on the ground, right? It looks like she reaches up and touches something on her neck. And then she yeah. like, just really like a evaporates in like a, like a, like a cloud of smoke. What was that? Like a space cyanide capsule, man? Is that a, uh, that's, that's how I thought. Yeah, that's what I, I think thought. When, I think, I believe when somebody who's disrupting time's life ends, that they de- de- uh, transport back to their time and where they belong. So she did that so deliberately. So it was like a conscious left. decision of no, hers think, before she died. No, I don't know if it was conscious or the fact that when she dies – her system automatically transport her back to where she belonged. Yeah, because it was like she reached up and pressed her neck, like she did like a button. Yeah, or I think it was a conscious decision. Yeah, because I, th- I think it, you're right. Because her job is to make sure humanity re- remains kind of space dumb, basically, has trouble getting into, you know, become a galaxy spanning uh, space nation. So they, revealing aliens like back in the early 2000s would really set that 
cause back because yeah because it would be know, going against what their their plot was yeah that fits perfectly yeah, man thank perfect. you i couldn't make sense of that for some reason i was just and i didn't even catch it on the first viewing so thanks fellas i appreciate that and yeah great to have callers and a fun episode i'm gonna go run off and watch this week's episode now that was fun i, I i'm i'm gonna give you a spoiler though they don't go to vermont <laughs> uh, <laughs> damn it <laughs> I think that was the one and only visit to Vermont that we're going to see on Star Trek, but I'll take it. I'll take the win. Yeah, next time they're going to be going to Oregon. They're going to go to Oregon next time. Oh, sweet. Las Vegas, maybe. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I just, I just want to say to everybody, please, uh, you know, stay safe and be good to each other. And always remember, Star Trek fans are the best fans, okay? Head over to our Facebook page and uh, make sure you answer the poll, which I'm going to put up tomorrow about the episode, which is on tonight, which I think is called uh, Eating with the Lotus or something like that. Um, something about Lotus. I don't remember exactly. But the episode that's on tonight, tomorrow, you'll be able to give your scores. Head over to our Facebook page tomorrow and do that so that next week you'll hear your opinion on the show. All right, guys. I'm Uncle Jim saying thank you so much and good night. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Good night. All right, love life. Take care. Good night. Let's see what's out there. Engage.